0: Good morning. The Lord be with you. Please rise in honor of our Lord as He speaks to us through His word in John, the 14th chapter. Our Lord speaking, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. have seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is the gospel of our Lord you may be seated used to looking at a screen back there that's on it's not today so if I turn periodically I just need to know where I'm at well two weeks ago was the fifth Sunday of the month the Sunday in which I answer questions posed by you the members of Maple Park. If you recall on that day we had too many questions to answer in a single sermon. So today you get the last question which was posed by one of the younger members of our congregation. Her question was, how do you know 100% that God is real? I mean, what an excellent question. One that is asked by almost every human on this planet at some point in their life, this is borne out by the fact that anthropologists tell us that no culture has ever been discovered that does not have at least some concept of a power higher than ourselves that must be considered. In other words, every culture has religious beliefs. Even atheists wrestle with this question, which is a dilemma for them. For to reject something as if that thing that you are rejecting is a matter to be seriously considered, indicates that somewhere deep inside, you know that the matter is not simply some fanciful notion that can be dismissed out of hand. This is a serious question that every human weighs. For example, if I were to ask you what role do you think pink unicorns should uh, play in our lives, you would rightly be concerned about me for we all know to our toes that pink unicorns do not exist. So we do not debate the matter. Pick up the phone, book. No phone books. Google it. See if you can find pink unicorn societies. And you will not find one. Nor will you find books or gatherings of people arguing the efficacy of unicorn existence in our life. We just don't engage in that kind of conversation because we know down to our toes they do not exist. Amen? Yeah, I'm looking for someone who might say, well, I'm not so sure about that. (laughs) Yet throughout human history, the matter of God's existence has been and continues to be a consuming matter. Even amongst those who desperately want to reject the idea, sometimes to the point where they make it their life's work. And I would contend that the reason they do this, the reason why some atheists get so consumed with this matter of God, is because the evidence of his existence is plain overwhelming. They can see it in nature. Which is too ordered, too predictable, too consistent to be an accident. And we all know this to be true. Now, you know but this ability is built inside of us. This ability to look at something and to discern whether it is random or from design. The ability to look at something and say, oh, that's just a happenstance of nature and not something that was created. All of us have this ability and we exercise it all of the time whether we think about it or not. For example if we were to see a formation like this, we might think to ourselves, well, what a curiosity. That looks like, that looks like, yeah, a camel. I heard the aardvark back there, you're wrong. Nose is too truncated, no pun intended. But as we say that, we look at it, and we know that this is, a happenstance of nature as compared to a skillfully crafted figurine that none of us would look at and say, well, look at that. That just happened. We know the difference. We look at things and we can tell if they are an accident as opposed to being made, even in nature. Like when we see hoodoo standing in the beauty of the wilderness but we know that they are not the work of an ancient people. Or when we see a log drifted to shore, we quickly distinguish it from a canoe that has been pushed to shore. When we find beauty in the raw power of nature and how it shapes things, we view it differently from the beauty of that which is made by human hands. By the way, The bluff of cliffs on the upper left is Mount Rushmore before it was carved. We can tell the difference. Happenstance. We see patterns, but we know that they are an accident of nature. As we know when patterns are not accidents, but the reflection of a creative mind and a skillful hand. And I could go on and on (laughs) and on to the point, the point being that this ability to look at things and to know when they are created was built into us by the creator himself who gave us this ability in part for this very important reason, that we might know he exists. And this scripture is clear that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. In other words, all of creation bears witness to this simple truth. There is a creator. And he is God. God which is why Paul in our first lesson today writes that those who fight this truth the truth of God's existence are without excuse from a Bible point of view there can be no true atheists which is defined as rejecting the notion that there is a supernatural being who made it all this is a religious viewpoint that from a Christian point of view is simply not rational. The word tells us that God has put the concept of eternity, a concept that includes himself into the heart of every human being. It is built into us. And you have to fight this notion real hard to deny this sense, this angst, that there is something out there, someone, a destiny, a judgment that waits beyond. This is what the Bible declares and what anthropologists have discovered. Every culture has a concept of God and religious practices. So atheism from a Christian perspective has to be rejected as an irrational position, a reflection of a mind that is not working correctly because God has designed our mind to see and to know that order, as opposed to chaos, that predictability, as compared to unpredictability, that designs do not just happen on their own. Now this being said, agnosticism, which is defined as not knowing that God, is different from atheism, which denies his existence. Agnosticism is a different matter as there are limits to how much we can know about God by merely observing the things he has made. For example. You remember our friend? If I look at our familiar torture device for little babies, I can pretty well be assured that the thing was not created by a force of nature. Perverted nonetheless. But it's not a random accident You can look at it and know that even though it took billions and billions and billions of years of sand rolling around, it did not end up looking like... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But you can look at it and know that it's not a product of natural forces, amen? Yeah, that someone had to design this and make this. Now, looking at it, that's about as far as we can go because we can't know anything at all about the one who made it. I mean, we can infer that whoever made this, that they were clever, that they were skillful, that they were powerful enough to manipulate things in nature to form this. But beyond that, there's not a blooming thing we can know about them. I cannot know them as a person, like where they came from, China. I can't know how many people it took to make it. I can't tell what their personalities were. Yes, they were weird. I can't know what they were thinking when they made it, or even if they give a hoot about someone who might buy their product. To know these things, something more than the created thing itself would need to be communicated, something we're gonna talk about in just a few moments. But for now, this simple fact cannot be denied. By looking at the created thing, we can know for sure there was a creator. Which brings us back to the original question. How do you know 100% that God is real? To the young person who asked this very important question, I would offer this very, very simple answer. Look at what he made. Look at the world around us. Go out of the city at night and stare into the heavens. Study biology. Examine the human body and the miracle of life. Study geology, study physics, look at creation and notice the intricacy, the predictability, the genetic makeup of every living thing. Then ask yourself this fundamental question. Is there anything in nature that suggests that anything comes out of nothing? that an inanimate object can organize itself into a functional unit with other inanimate objects, that non-living things can give rise to life and life to reproduction without outside design and guidance. And you'll have your answer. In nature, nothing comes from nothing period. And nothing in nature suggests that non-living things can give rise to increasingly complex orders of things without outside help, a statement that can easily be proved by anyone in this room. Go to the mall and buy yourself a bin of Legos and then shake that box of Legos over and over and over and check it periodically. Like, oh, I don't know, every 100,000 or million shakes. And see how many of those Legos have organized themselves into functional units. See how many complex shapes with function you can find. I mean, that doesn't even address the question of where did the Legos come from? And then keep shaking to see if any of those complex shapes produce even the simplest of machines that can interact with one another in productive ways, and you will have your answer. You see, it just doesn't happen. Nothing gives rise to nothing in nature. Everything has to have a source, a beginning, and that source is God. So then this is the simple answer to the question, how can we be sure that God exists? One hundred percent. Nature itself points to God because nature is complex, nature is rational, nature is functional. It bubbles with intelligent design. Even as it declares the existence of a designer, it also proclaims that designer to be the one who is the source of everything that exists. This is what the Bible says, God created everything out of nothing. But as I've said, beyond this, nature cannot tell us anything more about God. It cannot tell us if he has a personality. It cannot tell us what his disposition might be towards us. It cannot tell us what God thinks about the creation or our place in it. For this, we need special revelation, a label that tells where it all comes from which brings us to the word of God. And the testimony of that word and what it tells us regarding these matters, which is the stuff of another sermon for a different day. But I'm going to give you a plot spoiler about what that sermon would tell you. Actually, it's a plot spoiler that you've already heard today in the second lesson from Colossians 1, 15 through 20, which says, Christ, let's read the red together, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. How many things? That's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? By him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Are you a thing? If you are, I want to see your hand go up. Does this word not tell you who you were created for? Why you exist? Paul goes on. He writes, he, Christ, existed before all things, and in him all things hold together. Which is precisely the same thing St. John says in his gospel, and he writes, all things were made through him, and without him no thing was made that was made. So, if anything exists, who made it? God. Not only that, according to John, Jesus is this creator, the God of creation. Not just a philosopher, not just a good man. Not just a good teacher who came to show us how to live our lives, but God himself. Paul continues. He says, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence, be the top dog. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased, to dwell. So if I were to ask you how much of God was in Jesus, what is the answer? All. All. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, just so we don't miss the point that Paul is underscoring here about Jesus, he writes just a few verses later, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. All. Meaning this, no one needs to be agnostic when it comes to God. Oh, who can really know what God is like? We can because God was Jesus in the flesh, acting out his heart, his intent, his love for the creation, which includes us. No Christian should ever express doubt about what God wants in the world from his creation. Because by looking at Jesus, we have the answer. No one needs to wrestle with the question what is God like? What are His intentions? Is God accessible? Where do I fit into God's plan? What does God think of me? The answer to these and a host of other questions are all found in Jesus. For Jesus is God in the flesh revealing himself to us to let us know his intentions, to let us know where his heart is, to let us know that he is aware of how screwed up this world is, of how screwed up our lives can be, to let us know that the sins that devastate us so completely do not define our destiny. Is that good news? Need not define our identity. When the devil comes at me to remind me, well, Greg, you're nothing but a sorry sinner, I can look him in his little red eyes and say, yeah, Well, Jesus says, I'm God's child. What do you think of that? In Christ, we find a new identity other than the one we were saddled with at our birth. Is this not great news? We get a new destination. So when we die, we are not thrown on the cosmic trash heap because we're defective. We get pulled into God's mansion himself and seated at his table because he says, well, yeah, you might be flawed, but more to me, you're my kids, and I want you with me. Is this not good news? In Christ, God reveals that our sins are covered and grace wins the day to give us that new identity and a new start every day. How many sinned yesterday? Are you not aware that this morning when you rose, God said, well, you're in my son. I'm so glad to see you today. I love you. He does not count our sins against us because of Jesus Christ. This is what the special revelation of God's word is screaming to us. That in Christ, God was making peace by the blood of his cross, With shouts volumes about what God wants, about what God has done to achieve for those of us who want the same thing which is to be with him forever and with one another forever in him. Good news. Great news. So, back to the question. If you are sane, you cannot look at the cosmos and truly be an atheist. There's simply too much evidence to conclude that it is all an accident. And if you are wise, you cannot look at Christ and be an agnostic. In him, the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form to redeem you and to make you new. So I ask, what more about God do we need to know than what we find in Jesus? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for revealing yourself to us in Christ, for in him we see your heart of hearts and the depth of your love for each of us. Give us faith to cling to you, to receive you as you daily come to us, to make us new through the Holy Spirit, which is you living inside of us. Help us not to live as those who do not know, but to live as those who are sure of the promises that are found in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's rise and sing to our Creator God.
1: And all stars.